Hey there, this is Mason Gordon, and you're listening to Soilcraft's Regenerative Agronomy Podcast, where we aspire to bring transparency to farmers through education. And now we'll head over to the studio where you'll meet the team and we'll introduce this episode's topic. Welcome back here to the studio, Denver Black, Trent Graybill, and Dwayne Bowman still. So one thing I get really excited about is when I see someone identifies a problem and they begin to build solution to the problem, they build a team because they now have a vision and a passion and a purpose and and a team rallies around something like that and the problem gets solved, an organization is built and that's kind of what we've done here today. Uh, that's where we find ourselves. We've got a great group of people right around the table that have all helped build this vision statement that we're going to introduce now. So the vision statement goes like this. Soilcraft, to be the company that leads the world in healing people by redeeming agricultural principles and practices to the way the creator designed them. That is our vision statement. That's we, huge. We have spent, yes, it is. We've spent a lot of time mulling over that one. We ask questions like, what gets us out of bed in the morning? What's Denver passionate about? What's Trent passionate about? And, and Dwayne and myself. And how does that unify? And what was interesting as we did that is that there was a unique thread that paralleled in each one of our own personal vision statements that, and, and, and that's where this vision statement was born out of. So we want to talk a little bit today about why. Why that vision statement? Um, what are we passionate about? So when it comes to each one of us personally, how do we embody this vision? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how are we going to continue that on and serve others with it? Because that's really what it's all about. We're, we're here to serve others. That's part of the, the vision there. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We're going to have a little conversation about this vision statement. So the first question is going to go like this. Why this vision statement? Each of you personally throw in why this vision statement? Why did we arrive and why did you agree on this vision statement? Fire away. I'll jump right in. I, I think, you know, what's interesting, I found when I was farming myself, and I find often with growers, is that there's a, a bit of a disconnect between producing food and producing maybe, say, an, a commodity. And I think, you know, on my own farm, I found that I was just in that headspace of producing a commodity rather than growing food, which is really what, what we're doing in agriculture. And in so doing, sometimes, you know, we may not be asking the right questions. We're always concerned with yield, you know, because that's how we're compensated. But what are we asking the question about nutrition, about nourishment? And often we're not, because again, you know, number one, we're not, uh, we're not compensated in that capacity, but also, you know, we don't measure in that capacity either. And so I think for me, one of the big questions I think we've all asked and, well, if food is supposed to nourish us, you know, then why on earth are so many people sick? And furthermore, why are people allergic to the thing that that's supposed to nourish them? And so I really think for me, that's, that's a lot of that. A, a lot of where this came from is 
you know, not only are, are we not keenly aware and at the forefront of our mind that we're growing food, but also, you know, what's the quality of that and why are people not responding well to that? And so I know for me, that's where a lot of this is born out of and, and a lot of where that journey went. How about you, Trent? Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of it for me was as I began to learn about just soil science and plant science, everything around agronomy and growing crops and mineral nutrition and microbiology and all of these different things. And I began to realize that so many of our issues were due to, you know, either toxicities of certain things or deficiencies. And as I began to research that about crops and about, you know, all these different things around agriculture and plants and soils, I began to come across information that related to humans and to animals when it came to these exact same minerals. You know, calcium affects this and in a plant, and then it also has this effect in human cells and et cetera, et cetera. And I began to realize that all of this meshes and, you know, comes together when we talk about soil health and human health. And I began to go down that road, I began to research things like cancer and all these different types of issues that we're dealing with today. And there's no one specific cause to those issues, but it's, it's made up of a whole bunch of different things. But one of, the, one of the things that I came across with was certain types of chemicals, whether that, and when I say chemical, I mean synthetic pesticide, you know, synthetic molecules, that are designed to kill an organism, whether it be a fungus or an insect or weed, you know, including herbicides. And there's quite a bit of information if you begin to dig that has very negative impacts when it comes to human health. And so if that's going on our crops and then that's actually making it all the way through even the food, say, being processed, if it is processed, and then making that into our mouths and into our bodies, and then that's having an effect man, there needs to be, there's got to be a way to reduce that. And so that's, that's partly where, I guess, along with this vision statement with our company, where that came from was, man, there's so many things that we need to learn or change about the way that we grow and produce things. And as we begin to go down this road, it's been really, really exciting to see the effect that we can have on crops and with reducing these issues of pests and disease and even sometimes weed pressure. So I have a lot to learn about that one, but there's some really interesting things we have learned. And with that, we find we need less of a lot of these toxic products that we're using on our crops to deal with our issues. And in turn, we're creating more nutritious food that is healthier for us, it's healthier for the soil that we're growing it in, and it's healthier for you know the people that are even in that system, applying those types of things. So mm-hmm. that's a good point. So you're, you're saying not only, I mean, we know about this and, and Dwayne, you mentioned that kind of in our last conversation about what led you ultimately to starting Soilcraft and becoming an organic producer of apples eventually was that you wanted to produce foods that were cleaner, that didn't have these, these insecticides, fungicides, or herbicide residual or whatever it is that might get into there. And I think that's a good point you make, Trent. You know, there's a reason that that every producer uses these things. They don't they don't apply it just for right. kicks and giggles. Like we don't spend money uh, just for the fun of it. That we don't apply anything unless there's 
a cause, you know, a reason for doing it, a pest or, or whatever it is. And so, so what you're saying is, you know, hey, we want to find a different method of dealing with this disease, you know, rather than applying a fungicide, or we want to, we want to find a different way to deal with this pest other than applying, you know, maybe a neonicotinoid or something like this. But in order to do that, we have to look at what? The causation, right? So, and we've talked about that a lot. I know, Trent, you, you're, you're very big on that of saying, hey, let's, what if we can, if we can find the root cause, what's the reason that there's mildew? What's the reason this insect is attacking my crop? Because, you know, one method is to just kill it. Let's kill whatever the thing is that's bothering me. But another is stopping to go a little farther back and say, well, why is it there in the first place? And is there a way to prevent that from appearing? And so that way we can produce, well, how are we going to heal people? Well, let's stop first by reducing the poisons is what you're saying, right? And in order to reduce the poison, that ultimately leads us to finding out we really need a healthier crop that's more resilient so that it doesn't have this, right? You maybe talk a little bit more about doing that, growing resilient crops and how that's part of, you know, our, our vision or whatever. Yeah. So I guess one of my first experiences was beginning to learn from people like Dwayne and watching what he did on his farm is he began to implement a lot of these practices and the things that we're learning about mineral nutrition and microbiology. And we began to find that he had less disease issues in his apples. And in doing so, we needed to apply less, you know, less fungicides and less insecticides. That was exciting, not necessarily just because we reduced, you know, in the beginning we were doing these things because we wanted to improve the yield. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, we got, you know, we, we hate all these chemicals. It was like, no, it was just wanted to improve things, make things better. And then as we began to do that, we began to realize like, whoa, we have less, you know, powdery mildew. We have less mite pressure. We have less aphids. You know, our trees are healthier. And then we're getting, you know, that was, that was a byproduct of trying to make things healthier so we could improve the health, the quality of the crop and the, the yield and the production. And then after we saw that, it's like, oh, wow, this is really exciting. This is like a whole, yeah. a whole new frontier. You know what? You can actually reduce and figure out these issues, you know, of issues that we spend a lot of money on with, you know, products to try to solve and you can prevent them and get a higher yield all at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. I might go back and give just a little bit of history of Dr. Scow and how he got started. I think he had the largest veterinarian clinic in, in the States and he was seeing all of these sick animals. And so he went back to the soil and decided he would research why the sick animals, well, they were eating the feed that came from the soil. And so that's why he started his company to consult and to train people about soil nutrition. And one of the big things was calcium and, and on and on. There was a lot of different, different issues that, that he came or developed a way to address. But as I learned that, then it's a no-brainer to think about human nutrition. If animals need good nutrition from the soil, don't we even need it more? And so that was where I came from. And as we came to Washington and 
started working with Trent, and he was just dogged on learning what happens, how the chemicals affect the nutrition, and, and the list just goes on and on. And it wasn't long until Trent knew more than I had ever learned. That's interesting that you that. talk about that connection. I even have a small personal example of with my milking goats where you know, I've been very picky about uh, the hay that I feed them. But sometimes you, know, you, you get what you get. And so there was a time where, where I was short on hay and I, had to, I just had to get whatever alfalfa I could get. And I happened to get some that was, that was uh, Roundup Ready alfalfa and not my first pick, but I said, hey, that's all right. It was quality hay. I mean, good test. Leaves were nice. It was good. So I said, all right, you know, I'll take it and started feeding it. And um, for years, I'd raised dairy goats without a single incidence of mastitis and I started feeding this in the in the last trimester uh, with with my milking goats, and sure enough, you know one of my uh, dairy goats she had her kids, and she came down with mastitis. And uh, I'd heard others talk about this, and again, I, you know, it's hard to say exactly what what that could be, you know, associated with. But it could be just tied up manganese or or something of the sort, but. You know, that was a, one of my first instances where it was like, wow, yeah, I've, I've been so fanatical about where I get the nutrition that goes into my goats because I'm drinking that milk. But it was a clear incidence in where I saw quality of feed, you know, affecting the health of my animal. And so it's obvious to understand all that connection all the way through as to why. And, and if I'm that particular about what I want to eat, shouldn't we all be that particular about the food we produce that everyone's eating, that all their kids are drinking, that, you know. So, yeah, it, this is important stuff. Unfortunately, it's just, it's not always so cut and dry to understand, you know, what is it's causing that instance. And that's, you know, that's anecdotal. But, you know, when you start to hear enough people with the same anecdotes, you start to draw connections. So, so we used a pretty big word in, in this vision statement, and that word is redeem or change. So my question is, is what was the digression there? We put, we want to help heal people by redeeming agriculture principles and practices. So that says that agriculture came from somewhere and is somewhere today, and we want to redeem that or change that. Can you speak into that? You, are you asking specifically yeah. like the reason we chose that word? Or I mean, I have ahead. one thing I might interject here, and that is, when you realize the nutrition value that used to be in food 60 years ago, and then you take the same crop and you analyze the nutrition value today, you do realize that there is something to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's what I'm getting at is, is that when you say redeem or change, that means there was a problem in the beginning and we've got to change that. And so, so yeah, you can, I think it was actually you that chose that word, Denver. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think you're right. That's, I just wasn't sure exactly what you wanted me yeah. to comment on that. But yeah, yeah, that's absolutely, I, I like the word because it speaks to exactly what, going what you gave as an example that, look, this was created uh, originally, right? At some point with, with a completeness, right? And I think the best example, the most uh, kind of visceral example, really, and one that we've all experienced is just the difference between a, 
everybody seems like had a grandma or grandpa that grew tomatoes, like the best tomatoes, you know, garden tomatoes. And when you eat that, you, you, there's, there's, you wouldn't call that other thing, red thing in the grocery store, a tomato, right? It's just, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, you know there's, a, and there's an element of quality missing. But then the deeper you go down this rabbit hole in science, the more you realize, you know, there's a plant secondary metabolites. And oftentimes, you know, those flavors, those phenols and things that, that we enjoy as humans, well, those are, those are plant immune compounds that, that the plant has created in order to be resilient, to fend off disease. How beautiful is that, 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 that the plants in the first place are created to, to have systems to do that, to ward off pest and disease. But how, how more incredible is that than we, we carry that forward and realize that, that we're created with a, with a desire, right, and an, and an intuition to eat that. You know, there, there's that, that pleasure aspect of eating that closes that loop, that tells us, ooh, that's good. Well, it's good because it's good for you. Our taste buds are designed to enjoy that as well. And so, you know, again, that's just a, I think that's one of the, the best examples of, of something that should be redeemed. Now, I understand there's some, some aspects to that because we have to pick a tomato, put it in a truck, and ship it a long distance. And there's others that can make an argument for different ways of doing that. But I think we could say that I, I know from personal experience that we can, we can do it better. We can grow a better tomato that is more resilient of those diseases and does taste better, even if it's commercially done. And so, you know, I think redeeming, absolutely. Why redeeming instead of changing? Because I don't believe that we're, that we, that we're going to go out there and create this completely latest and greatest. I really believe that, that everything that we could look for is already there. It's, it's already set forth. The question is, how can we how can we manage these systems in such a way that we can get it back to the ideal? And I think oftentimes, you know, we can view that. It depends on how you view a crop. You know, how do, you, do you view a crop as building yield or, or in preserving yield? You know, because I know I believe, we here at Soilcraft believe that it's, there's a genetic potential and it's our job to nurture that crop from infancy to, to maturity and reproduction. If we can do our best at every step of that way, then, then we'll have the ultimate expression. But again, I think, I think intuitively most of us really believe that there's something more to have than what we're experiencing. And even your comment, Dwayne, you know, there used to be, there was, I mean, 50, 75, hundred years ago, people would live on a diet of literally meat and potatoes and they were very healthy. You say, well, how can you do that? Potatoes are just starch and meat is just protein. There was a time when that wasn't true. Potatoes had more nutritional density. Meat was more nutritionally dense, had more nutrients and vitamins in it. And of course, we continue to learn that, that as animals eat healthier grass, for instance, and th- then we find they ha- they're extremely rich in vitamins and minerals. So mm-hmm. yeah. I might also add that with this aspect, it's hard to bring this all together in a simple, coherent sentence or a few sentences. but. With the aspect of redeeming or changing, regenerating, that indicates that there is an issue and we need to go back. Maybe maybe it was better at one time. And part of that for me is learning about plants and soils and crops and the fact that we can influence the genetic potential and or the 
pressure from disease and insects, learning how much nutrition influenced that began to make me research how that influences our own immune system. Because I grew up just eating, you know, I mean, I ate decent as a kid, but I also ate really bad and loved, you know, Cheerios and tricks and Pop-Tarts and just sugar, 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 sugar. And, you know, we'd get sick and have colds and all these types of things, you know, flu every year and just all these, you know, normal things. But I just grew up thinking, well, you just get sick and that's just normal. And it's just, some, you know, you always catch it from someone else. And that's, that's, that's the issue. And there's these things floating around there that people pass on and then you just get it. And then to fix it, you go to the store and you get some medicine or you call your doctor and they give you, you know, something and you try to get over it. And as I began to research the crop side, plant side, I realized that it's the same in human health. And that's one thing I had no clue about that, whoa, we have an immune system and I can stimulate this and actually prevent myself or, or reduce the chance of me, you know, contracting a virus and dealing, you know, getting flu or, you know, whatever it is. And realizing that I could actually take some level of control over my health and how good I feel and how, you know, how easy I may get sick or not get sick. That was like, whoa. So then realizing that, that this impacts my health and how I feel and how I either get sick or not get sick, that means I need to be eating really healthy. Where do I get these nutrients? How do I stimulate my immune system to help prevent, you know, these types of problems? Well, I need to get it from my food. Well, how do I get calcium and zinc and boron and, you know, probiotics and all these different things? And so that's part of that is where it's like, man, if we're putting a lot of these things that we are learning slowly or slowly learning that these things are bad for us on our crops, that means I'm eating that. That's suppressing my immune system. And that was partially learning about these types of sicknesses and even things like, you know, cancer that pretty much everybody knows someone who has cancer. Well, it wasn't like that 50, 60 years ago. And now it is. Well, where's it coming from? And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But some of it can be related to certain types of compounds that we're applying to our crops. So figuring out ways to reduce that, I think that's part of where this redeeming comes from. We need, because we didn't apply these things a long time ago, and now we are. So how do we get back to where we can produce crops that are super productive but also are cleaner with less, you know, those types of things. So that's ultimately where we're, what we're, where we're headed. Yeah, that's good. One thing I think what you're saying there is it's more of a, uh, what we would do is more of a proactive approach versus a reactive approach. One way I've heard it put, I can't remember who it was, but, but said that agriculture nowadays is kind of, it's really centered around a culture of death versus what we would believe a culture of life. And, um, so uh, going out every morning and deciding you know, how are we going to add life into things today versus what are we going to kill today? That's great. I couldn't agree more. That's something like on my own farm when we started to integrate livestock and cover crops. That was one of the first things I noticed as soon as you know, I brought the livestock and immediately the dung beetles followed. You, know? mm-hmm. like you didn't have to add those. You didn't have to invite them. You know, it's just uh, miraculously sh- they showed up and I just kind of came up with I don't know whether I coined it or heard it somewhere, but I, I like it. It's life begets life. Like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's amazing yes. that as soon as you start to honor life, that 
it, that it flourishes. As you see the same thing with grazing management, just changing management principles and grazing. You don't have to plant so many things. You just change the management. And all of a sudden, native forbs that, that haven't been seen for 50 years show up out of nowhere. They're there. It's waiting. You know, the system's waiting to prosper. Mm-hmm. It wants to be redeemed. Yeah. Really, I think it's yearning for it. And so, I mean, ultimately, it's yearning for the ultimate redemption. But at least in this meantime, as we steward it, I really think ultimately it just comes, all of it comes down to management. We have so many amazing tools. So, so when systems aren't, aren't functioning properly, when things aren't as they should be, our first question should always be, how are we mismanaging it? That yeah. should be the, always the first question. In my mind, the key to, to redeeming these things is always is first humility, because we don't have it all figured out and ask the questions like, what are we missing? You know, because usually it's when we think we've got it all, we've got this thing licked. That's, <laughs> that's about the time we realize, oh man, we've missed something big. Mm-hmm. That goes along really well with this quote that I love. It says, society is obsessed with finding cures without trying to learn about the cause. Mm-hmm. And like, that's yeah. what we see about around everything. So many things. Yeah. And it's, so that's what I get excited about is trying to figure out what's the root cause of these yeah. issues and how do we figure that out? That, that's exciting to me. You know, I like to think about that as part of our culture really here at Soilcraft is we ask the question why all the time. You know, I hear it around the office all the time when we're trying to solve a problem. I've heard, I can't remember the book uh, that is stated in, but you know, one of the ways to get to the root cause of the, the problem is to ask the question why five times. And by the time about you get to the fifth one, you'll actually have your root cause. You know, we got a past. Simon's, why do we have a past? The Simon Sinek, I think, isn't it? The start with it why. Maybe. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, so that's good. Dwayne, I wanted to ask you, at the end of that, our vision statement there talks about we're redeeming these principles and practices to the way the creator designed them. What do we mean when we mean the creator and the way he designed them? We're redeeming back to that. There's, yeah, obviously... He created, we believe that uh, the world was created by God, but there's all sorts of little things in there that obviously there was a curse at some point and weeds and rocks and all these things came up. And so what are we trying to do here? Well, there's also a verse and it says the plowman will overtake the reaper. I always thought that was interesting too. It sounds like the crop is so abundant that it just takes a long time to harvest. So that sounds exciting, and that's a future happening. But right now, we're dealing with what we have now. And we don't know exactly how the Creator designed it. Because, like Mason said, it was cursed. So I don't think we can find all the answers right now, today. But we know. Like Denver said, life begets life. And if we can just change a few things in how something is approached, we can aid that saying that life begets life. And there was a lady in our office one time, and she was having a problem, and she was telling us everything that she had done. And after a while, I just said, Well, I said, everything you've been telling us. You're putting something on to kill something. 
I said, God created life, and that's what we try to promote. And so we just want to put on the whatever it takes to promote life. And sometimes it's not anything we have to put on. Sometimes it's just growing cover crops. There's so many ways to cultivate life. So that's probably the best answer I have right now. Good. And other things to add? Yeah, I might also add that with that statement, I mean, that, that's a huge vision statement, but that's what vision statements are. That's like, that's our vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I might mention with that, that when we say the way the creator designed it, from, from my perspective, um, my worldview, believing that there was and there is a creator God who designed this incredible planet and all these things we continue to learn through science. When we just look around us observationally and we look at nature, how does it work? How does the forest sustain itself? You know, go to the rainforest, go to the mountains, go where, you know, the prairies, the, wherever. And you begin to observe and watch how things work. They tend to, in, unless man comes in and causes a major environmental, you know, issue, it continues, it, it seems to sustain itself to a certain extent and thrive and produce. And so I think that would be more kind of what I would take that vision statement Mm, to mean is that we we're trying to take what we see out in nature and apply that to a, you know, monoculture cropping systems within conventional modern agriculture. How can we take what we learn out there and say, okay, if this is how the creator designed it, how can we learn from that and apply that over here rather than just constantly going against the system mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, fight it like, Oh, cause you know, nature has insects, nature has weeds. These things were designed. We believe, you know, insects from what we're learning, they come in when there's the plant is unhealthy or it's sick. And, you know, Dr. Philip Callahan has some really interesting information on that and wrote several books. Um, and then his kind of his protege, as far as I know, uh, Dr. Thomas Dykstra has continued that work. And he talks about this and literally from their research, insects attack unhealthy plants. So if that's the case and all these crops where we have unhealthy crops, if we have all of these disease and insect issues. And so, you know, so if we can look at that and say, okay, instead of trying to kill and attack and be that have this warfare mentality against the things that are in our crops, Where's the biocontrol aspect out in nature? And if we can adopt some of those, you know, practices into our agriculture, I think we're going to be more successful and back to how we think things were designed. That's good. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense or not, but yeah, that does. It really does. We're not trying to deny the curse and, you know, remove that out of the way and go pre-curse here. Yeah. We're trying to work with what we have, what God gave us yeah. and the way he has intended for us to live in it today. Yeah. When, as we continue to look, you know, I mean, I love the idea of epigenetics, which is more of the science of looking at, I think epi means outside of. So looking at the genetics and how of, of anything, whether it be humans, plants, bacteria, whatever, and how they're affected by the outside environment. And they're learning that, based on the environment around them or outside of them, that can influence how those genes turn on and turn off and how that organism expresses itself or how the genes express themselves. And so when we think about that and we think about the potential of crops, the potential, you know, and, and I mean, I've, I've heard it said 
some of these crops, you know, for example, corn, I'm told genetically, the genetic potential in the seed is 1200 bushels, which sounds outrageous. Like we, that doesn't even, that's insane. But if, but if that's the genetic potential of that, we have a long ways to go to get there. And right now it seems like, and in the past, since my lifetime, whatever, 30 years, it seems like the focus has been, we need to get more yield. So we need to figure out how to manipulate those genetics and change them. And we're not really talking about the environment. We're saying, oh, we've got these insects, we've got disease, let's figure out a way to kill them. But we're not talking about how to mitigate those stressors and those issues and realize that that can have as much of an effect on the potential yield of a crop than trying to manipulate its actual, you know, DNA, so to speak. Anyways. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, for those that are maybe not as familiar with Callahan's work, you know, on insects and what Dykstra is doing, you know, you're, you're speaking about basically the frequencies that the, the wavelengths that these plants are emitting and that being the way that attracts an insect. So if, if we change the, the mineral levels and, and increase certain mineral levels within those plants, then that plant, the frequency, the light wave and the frequency that the insects are able to, to pick up on with their antennae changes. And so they, they literally don't even see it as food anymore. And even learning as well that even plants can put off, we know they put off aromas, but those can be manipulated as well, whether that be through nutrition or, or through things like chitinase being taken up through the root system and then, and then being emitted out through the plant, which gives a foul smell to those insects. So yeah, it's kind of like you're saying, instead of just thinking, well, how can we change the plant, you know, the ge- genetics of the plant? The other question is, what instances are there, whether it's the microbial interaction or the nutritional elements within that plant will change the interaction of that organism within its environment and changes that, the dynamic of whether it's seen as food for insects or food for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we can change that, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and we might be getting off, but I think this has to do with why we have this vision. Is I love this other quote that says, nature doesn't produce garbage only nutrients. And that's so true. If you just go out into nature, like something that grows or produces whatever, it dies, it becomes food for something else, which becomes food for something else. And it breaks it all the way down into the lowest level, which I think is humus or back to a stable carbon source um, into the ground. And so if you think about from that aspect, these insects are doing a job. They're coming in here and, you know, oh, this plant's sick. Because if you think about survival, if a, if a super unhealthy species continues to have unhealthy offspring, eventually it would go completely extinct. And so the insect's jobs are to take out these unhealthy plants so that only the super healthy ones are the ones that produce seed and continue that, you know, generation or that species. And so when we think about that and that light, I think personally it starts to make a lot more sense around, you know, how these systems are made to work. And if we can harness that and understand that, the, so yeah, the cool. potential is endless. Yeah, so it's exciting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great place to end this here. I'll end it this way. Soil craft, our vision. We desire to be the company that leads the world in healing people by redeeming agricultural principles and practices to the way the creator designed them. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for listening. It's been another successful podcast. If you have any questions or a topic that you'd like to hear us address, please email us at podcast at soilcraft.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening.